We continue in Daniel chapter 9. And so let's give attention to the reading of God's Word as I read Daniel 9, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His ways, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities, and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. 
Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing and now the teaching of it. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we see most clearly who you are and who we are and what you have done. And so we come now, Lord, and we ask that you would reveal yourself in all your greatness and all your majesty. That you would show us our sin and our great need for your mercy and grace. And that you would remind us and reveal to us again the forgiveness and the grace that you have for your people because of your great name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel is now an elderly man in his 80s. He's far removed from that, that teenage youth that was brought to Babylon as a captive of war. He has now served as an advisor to several rulers in the most powerful empires of his day. And during that time, he has faithfully served as an ambassador for the King of Kings, for the Lord God Almighty. He's been a messenger revealing the mysteries of, of God's wisdom and might and His sovereign power over kings and kingdoms throughout history. And as well, he's been a, a minister to his fellow exiles from Israel, reminding them that, that their God reigns and is faithful to His covenant promises to His people, both in judgment as well as in deliverance. Twice he himself has seen the Lord's deliverance from death. And he has been the interpreter and now the receiver of visions from the Lord about judgment and deliverance to come. Some of these things too great and awesome even for his understanding. But the place and the places in this book where we see truly the heart and the character of Daniel revealed most openly and clearly have been when he is on his knees in prayer. And so it is with each of us as well. Sinclair Ferguson put it well when he said, Prayer is an expression of what we know of God and of ourselves. In public, we may successfully disguise the truth about ourselves, but not in private prayer or in the lack of it. In other words, what we truly believe about God and, and how we see ourselves in relation to God is revealed in who we are on our knees before God in prayer. And Daniel was a man dependent on and devoted to prayer. Even as we saw back in chapter 6, if it was at the very cost of his own life. And here in chapter 9, interestingly enough, probably around the same time as that incident back in chapter 6 with the lion's den, we get another glimpse 
of Daniel back on his knees, turning his face towards the Lord God and earnestly seeking Him in prayer. Only this time, it's almost as if a, a microphone is brought in close and we are, we are get, uh, given a chance to listen in on the specifics of Daniel's prayer. And whenever the Lord Himself gives us insights into the prayers of His servants, we do well to listen and to learn from them. Like the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus Himself gave us as a, as a pattern and a model for how to pray. Daniel's prayer has much to teach us. Much to teach us about God and about ourselves. As well as, as how to pray, not just for ourselves, but for the, the kingdom of God. For the people of God, His church. Particularly a church that is strayed from God's Word. And is in danger of being conformed more to the patterns of this world than being transformed by the grace of the living God. Daniel's prayer is a humble, yet a very hopeful prayer that in many ways reflects the, the pattern of corporate prayer that we pray together when we gather here on Sunday mornings. Acknowledgement and adoration of God's, God's name and His, His nature. Confession and repentance for our, our sin. And petitioning and pleading for the Lord's mercy and provision for His people. And above all, it's a prayer that, as we see, is rooted in relationship. It's rooted in a, in a covenant relationship between God and His people and the covenant promises which God has given as a result of that relationship. Daniel doesn't pray to just some God that he hopes is out there somewhere. He prays to the God whom he knows and who knows him. The God who has revealed and committed himself, as he said, to keep covenant and steadfast love with his people who love Him and keep His commandments. And it's on that basis that Daniel comes before the Lord. And he comes before the Lord in response to God's promises. He comes out of a reverence for God's greatness. He comes in repentance for his sin. And he comes ultimately requesting the mercy of God and the, the power of God at work for His people for the sake of the Lord's own name. So I want to look at those four things. And first we see that Daniel's prayer is in response to God's promises. Back in chapter 5, Daniel had, had read the writing of God's hand on the wall, predicting the, the end of King Belshazzar's reign and the fall of Babylon, which happened on that very night as, as Darius the Mede entered the city and killed the king. And the, and the kingdom fell into the hands of the Persians. Daniel not only survived this transition, but he was given a top position of authority in this new kingdom. And the events and the timing of that get him thinking about what he's read in God's Word. He says in verse 2, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. Namely, 70 years. It's really amazing here. Daniel has been reading the words written by the prophet Jeremiah. Words which if you would go look in Jeremiah chapter 36, you'll see that God goes to great lengths to, to preserve and be sure are, are received by His people in exile. And Daniel describes them as the word of the Lord. It's significant that Daniel here is acknowledging the, the divine source of Jeremiah's message not long after they were recorded. And it's a testimony to the inspiration and the authority of the Scriptures and how we are 
to approach and perceive the books that God has preserved for us in His Word. When we come to, to this book, we come to the Word of God recorded for us and written down for us by men who were moved by the Spirit of God to write His truth. And so as Daniel is, is studying Jeremiah, he reads from Jeremiah 25, 11, where the Lord says of Jerusalem, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. And then in Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, which Scott read for us earlier in Jeremiah 29, he says, Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you and restore your fortunes and gather from all the nations where I have driven you. And so Daniel reads this promise of God and he realizes it's been, it's been about 67 years. The time is coming close. Babylon has fallen. And Daniel, seeing that God's plans are unfolding exactly as he said it would, what does he do? What is, he does what God tells him to do in Jeremiah. He calls upon the Lord. He seeks Him with all his heart in prayer. Now we might hear that and think, well, there really was no need for Daniel to pray this way. Because after all, hadn't God promised this is what He was going to do? And, and haven't we already seen that God is sovereign to do exactly what He says He will do? So if that's the case, what purpose for Daniel to come and, and to plead for that? Well, it was probably not the first time Daniel had prayed for the Lord's mercy and restoration of his people. But as Daniel recognizes the time of uh, which God said is nearing and the, uh, the, the intensity and urgency of his prayer begins to increase as he sets his face towards God. It is not that Daniel doubts the sovereignty of God and his faithfulness to fulfill his promise, but it's precisely because he trusts God and he knows he is faithful. That he's moved to come before the Lord and plead his promises in prayer. God declares what he will do in his word and then he moves in the heart of his people to pray according to those promises ordaining to do his work in response to those prayers. Parents, have you ever made a promise to your children that you're going to do something special? Maybe you tell them on Monday morning, you know, if, if school goes well this week and everything, uh, you, you do well throughout the week, then we're going to Friday night maybe go out for a movie and ice cream. And boys and girls, you hear that and you start getting excited. And every now and then throughout the week, you might do what? You might remind them of that promise, right? You might say, hey, dad, are we still on for ice cream? Hey, mom, what, what, what movie do you think we're going to see? And then as the week rolls on, what happens is as it approaches, you get more and more excited. And the children say, hey, don't forget about tomorrow night. Can we go to Goodberries? And then Friday comes and the kids are bouncing off the wall. It's time. It's time to get ready. Let's go. Are we ready? Don't, don't delay. Now, as children, you trust your parents to keep those promises, but still you ask. And all the more 
to see it through. And as parents, your intention is not to break that promise, but hearing your children remember that promise and make their pleas to you for that promise urges you all the more to see it through. Now, I know it doesn't always work just like that. But remember, Jesus said, if we who are evil give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God has promised His blessing. And He longs to pour them out. And He promises to pour them out. But He calls us as well to seek and to pray. And so Daniel's prayer flowed out of his knowledge of God, his trust in the promises of His Word and His heart's desire to see those promises fulfilled. And the same thing is true for us. If prayer is a conversation with God, then it has to begin with our hearing what God has said in His Word and responding accordingly. That's what it means to to pray according to God's will. We hear, we listen, we are stirred up to pray for the Lord to do according to what He has said He will do. And that's how we see Daniel praying. And as his prayer, and even his prayer is full of the very language of God itself as he prays out of a, of a reverence for the greatness of God and in repentance for sin and in request for God's mercy. And so God's Word and what He reveals to us about Himself is, the, is not only the motivation, but it also, it's also informs our prayers. It guides them as we come to Him. And so as we hear His promises, we turn them around and we pray them right back to Him. Lord, do this. Not only for our good, but for Your glory. For the glory of Your name. And so Daniel begins his prayer by acknowledging God's greatness and invoking His name. He says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commands. Again, Daniel is not stating his personal opinion about who God is or calling on on what he thinks God may be like. He's quoting what God has already clearly revealed about Himself. God is the great and awesome God who created the heavens and the earth that declare His glory, from whom everything in the universe is a testimony to the work of His hands. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-righteous, all-just, all-loving, covenant-keeping God who stands in power and authority over all things. Nothing escapes his notice or is hidden from his judgments or is outside of his control. As as Daniel prayed when he first arrived in Babylon, he is the one to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Prayer begins with, with acknowledging and accepting the reality of who God is. A great An awesome God. He is over and above and at work in all things. And the first response to that is to break into humble adoration and praise to the King of Heaven and to see ourselves in light of His greatness. So let me ask you, does your posture and your approach in prayer reflect and reverence the greatness and the fearfulness of the God to whom we come? 
Yes, he is a loving father, but he is our father in heaven whose name is holy and who is unapproachable except that he has made himself known, revealed himself to us and invites us to come. There is an intimacy with God in prayer, but it is a reverent intimacy that is always mindful of the greatness of the one to whom we pray. And part of that greatness is that he is a God of steadfast love, as Daniel says, to whom belong mercy and forgiveness. He is a great as well as a gracious God who is faithful to all his covenant promises, which leads Daniel to recognize the faithlessness and sin of his people and to come in confession and repentance to the Lord. Note that in, in praying, Daniel is not just interceding for himself, but he is, he is praying on behalf of all of God's people in every land to which they have been taken. This is corporate confession of sin that's not just about Daniel's personal concerns, but it's about the glory of God and the needs of his people and the, and the advancement of his kingdom. It's kingdom-oriented prayer. And Daniel comes before the Lord in humble confession for the sins of the people, including himself. And for 12 verses, the bulk of the prayer... Daniel leaves no doubt as to how serious the sin and rebellion of the people has been. Notice he doesn't deal with sin just in general terms. He doesn't just say, Lord, please forgive our sins. He gets very specific and repetitive and, and speaks in particular language of how they have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled and turned away. We have not listened to your voice. We have committed treachery against you. We have transgressed your law. We have refused to obey. He says, to us belong open shame. We have become a byword, literally a, an object of scorn and reproach to those around us. And all of this, Daniel notes, has been against a righteous and just, merciful and forgiving God. You see, when we recognize the greatness of God, we see more clearly the seriousness of our sin. When we listen to what God has revealed to us and what He calls us to in His Word, we begin to see more and more the depths to which we can't live up to those standards or don't live up to those standards. And the contrast is great. Daniel's confession is driven by the reality that his sin and the sin of his, God's people is an affront and a rebellion against a great and gracious God. And true repentance, honest confession, flow when we recognize the serious nature of our sin in God's eyes. It is literally a refusal to listen to the voice of truth, to obey the commands that are for our good, to submit to the authority who is over all the universe, and it leads to open shame before him and before others. And so Daniel lays the blame squarely where it belongs. He doesn't blame the Babylonians. He doesn't blame the difficult circumstances or the trials that they are going through. He doesn't fault God or question His goodness in the midst of suffering. 
Rather, he, he reinforces God's righteousness and goodness. And he says it's, it's even because of our sin that we are in this mess. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame. In fact, he appeals to God's faithfulness to his promises in his covenant with Moses, even to say basically that we have received what we deserved. And in verse 12, God has confirmed his word, which he spoke against us and our rulers who ruled us by bringing this calamity upon us. The Lord is righteous in all his works and what he has done. Daniel's saying, Lord, we didn't, we didn't learn what we should have learned, and, and now we're reaping what we have sown just as you promised us. And so Daniel is humble before the Lord, confessing his sin and the sins of the people, repenting of their rebellion, acknowledging it against the Lord, and upholding the righteousness of God in judging those sins. And accepting the consequences is evidence that God is indeed faithful to his promises. And yet, those promises not only are, come not only of judgment, but also of deliverance and restoration if God's people will turn from those sins. And so Daniel's prayer turns to appeal and petition for God's grace and mercy and the restoration of his people. After confession, Daniel pleads to the Lord for his mercy to turn away his wrath, to forgive their sin, to restore his name and his kingdom. And note what he says in verses 18. Not because of any righteousness of ours, but because of your great mercy. He pleads the Lord's character. He pleads the Lord's promise. He recalls the Lord's deliverance of His people out of Egypt and how in that time they became irrevocably linked to His name. And Daniel appeals to that as the reason for God to act. He cries out, O Lord, open your eyes and see our desolations, the city that is called by your name. O oh Lord, act, not because we deserve your mercy, but for your own sake, because your city and your people are called by your name. It would be fitting, it would be just for God's judgment to remain on His people for their sin because of His greatness and His covenant promises. But those promises also include the promise of redemption. And Daniel says, Lord, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your reputation, do what you have promised to do. Not for our sake, O Lord, not for our glory, but for the glory of your name, for the display of your power, for the demonstration of your steadfast love and mercy and forgiveness. Make your face to shine again on your people and on your sanctuary and restore your people. Daniel's prayer is radically God-centered. He pleads God's promises for the sake of His glory and the upholding of His name. Why should God hear and respond to our prayers? Not because He needs us. Not because of anything that we have done or deserve. But because of His righteousness. He always does what is right and what is good. And the upholding of His name is right and good. And He is true to all that He says. 
And he has marked us as his people. We bear his name and he has committed himself out of his covenant love and steadfast mercy to redeem his people and restore his kingdom. And thus when we pray, we petition him to work according to his will for the sake of his name, for the glory of his kingdom. O Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, forgive our sin. O Lord, pay attention and quickly act for your own glory. Because your church bears your name. So Daniel serves in one sense as a model for us in independence and devotion to the Lord in prayer. He, he helps us to see how we are to pray for ourselves and for God's people and for the church in response to God's promises. In reverence for his great to his greatness. In repentance for our sin and in pleading, pleading for his mercy and the restoring of his kingdom. But in Daniel, we also see a picture of sorts of the one through whom God ultimately answers Daniel's prayer in the prayers of his people for mercy and deliverance, as we'll see next week. The problem of Israel's sin that caused God to bring them to exile was not dealt with simply by their returning back to the land and to Jerusalem. Although God indeed was faithful to bring them back to Jerusalem and rebuild his city and his temple. But his greatness and his grace and the full redemption of his people would ultimately come in the person of his son Jesus, the anointed one, whom we'll look at more fully next week in answer to Daniel's prayer. Jesus comes and he, he intercedes on behalf of sinful, rebellious people, not just by identifying with them, in sin, but by taking their sin upon Himself. He comes as the one who is without sin, right with the righteousness of God as God Himself, and He comes as the ultimate sacrifice for sin by bearing in Himself the wrath of God and the punishment for the sins of His people. Pouring out His blood to seal and secure the mercy and the forgiveness of a great and awesome Righteous God for sinners. Jesus, the righteous and holy Son of God, who knew no sin, becomes sin that we, who know only sin, might become the righteousness of God. You see, in Jesus, we have the, the greatest manifestation of God's glory, the matchless demonstration of His, His greatness and steadfast love. And only because of Him, can we, like Daniel, come humbly but boldly before the throne of a great and awesome God and receive grace and mercy in our time of need? And the Bible tells us that Jesus, even now, is at the right hand of God, doing what? Interceding for us. Saying, Lord, these whom you have given me are now marked by your name. They are yours. Hear, forgive, act on their behalf. They belong to us. God's greatness and His grace seen in the person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, is ultimately the true motivation for our prayers. 
Because all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. He fulfills every one, and therefore we can plead those promises in prayer with confidence, confessing our sin, receiving God's mercy. God has promised to save and sanctify a people for Himself, and so we can come as His people and pray earnestly that God would save sinners and that He would sanctify His church. We should be quick to lift up the greatness of God, to uphold the glory and honor of His name. We should be quick to to offer the grace and the mercy that He has shown us in Christ to others, praying for them. We should pray God's Word over our marriages, over our children, over our schools, over our nation, our neighbors, over the world, that God would make His name known, that His kingdom would come. Through Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And ultimately, we should pray for God to fully and finally renew and restore His people and establish His kingdom as He has promised when Jesus returns again to judge the nations and to gather in His people. And until that day, we continue. (laughs) We continue to plead the promises of God in prayer for ourselves, for one another, for His church, until that day when all those promises will ultimately be finally and fulfilled. And on that day, our prayers will be only praise. And we will see clearly, we will stand completely in the presence of our great God and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But until then, let us continue to seek the face of our great and awesome God in His Word and in prayer. Let us come to Him through the the new and living way that has been brought by Jesus Christ through His blood poured out that we might now enter in and plead the promises of God for the sake of His great name. Let's pray together. Father God, You who are the great and awesome God. Keeping covenant and steadfast love with your people from generation to generation. Righteous and just in all your ways. Merciful and forgiving the sins of your people because of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we come to you. And we confess this morning our sin. We recognize even in Daniel's prayer, though we may not like to see it, that too often we don't listen to your voice. We don't even attend to your voice. That we are quick to turn away from your ways. That we have transgressed your laws. That we have rebelled against your authority. And Lord, we deserve your just judgment. But because you are faithful to your promises, you sent your son Jesus to bear the punishment of our sin that we might receive mercy and grace and forgiveness, that we might bear your name and be restored 
into fellowship with you and into citizenship in your kingdom. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning confessing our sin, but pleading your promises to do your work, your saving, sanctifying work in our own hearts, in this church here at Ambassador, in our community around us, in our neighbors, in our workplaces, in our schools. Lord, do your work for the glory of your name in this world. Draw men and women, children, to yourself in the gospel. Give us a thirst, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, to be in your word and to, and to walk according to your ways. And Lord, knit us together as your people to look for and to long for and to pray for that day when your son Jesus will return. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.